Hi, this is Chris Young. Welcome to episode 40 of Contemplating Life. This week I'll continue my story of my many years of volunteer ministry for St. Gabriel Church, continuing with stories from my eight years of serving on the Finance Committee. Standard disclaimers, I'm not trying to evangelize or preach to anyone, I'm just telling my stories. Also, this is my best recollection of events from nearly 40 years ago. I may have some of the details wrong or things out of sequence, but this is what I remember the way I remember it. It's difficult to remember what happened in what order when you're talking about things that far back. This week, I have two different stories, and I don't recall when these events occurred or in what order. Some of it could have been before the events I already described in the previous episodes. I think some of it's after. I just don't remember it. Like the episode we had a few weeks ago, this one is a best-of-times, worst-of-times story. Let's get the bad one out of the way first, and then try to end on a high note. As I mentioned previously, the plan to reinstate tuition for Catholic school families was not well-received, but it did solve our immediate budget crisis and saved us from having to close the school. And although tithing had worked for us initially, there was a certain percentage of the population that just wouldn't buy into it. So the dramatic increases we'd experienced tended to flatten out. I don't think many people gave up on tithing, but we just weren't getting new converts. There was pressure to do more fundraising. My belief was that fundraising that we did should be for particular projects and not for ordinary operating expenses. One of the promises we made when we started tithing was that we would not do other fundraising. That promise eventually faded away. The school wanted to further subsidize this income, and they started something called Market Day, where you could order frozen food from some service, and they would deliver it to the school. You'd pick it up once a month. They also sold trash bags after every mass. School volunteers handled all the logistics of these programs. I was a bit uncomfortable with it. I seem to recall Jesus got pretty pissed off one time about all the people selling things in the temple, and he threw them out. At least these programs just took place in the school's cafeteria and not in the actual church sanctuary. All of this was mostly harmless, but I would have preferred people do their grocery shopping at the store and probably better prices than what they were getting from our programs and then put the savings in the collection plate. But I didn't feel strongly enough about it to raise a stink. I did raise a stink about other things. I was very upset about how aggressively we were pushing people to increase their financial pledges. Now, the standard philosophy of fundraising is that you put most of your effort into the big donors because they're the only ones who are going to make or break your budget. You do a minor amount of effort according to the smaller donors because they're not going to help anyway. Now, that might work for some big fundraising organization like United Way, where your sponsors are the bread and butter and the $5 donors help a little bit. Or if perhaps you're trying to raise big dollars for a capital campaign, I can see that as an appropriate strategy. It's one that we use many years later for capital campaigns that we raise money to renovate the church. More on that in future episodes. But when it came to ordinary Sunday collection, 
I strongly objected to pushing for large donors and ignoring the little guys. The reason was our big donors were already tithing. If we kept coming at them more and more, all we were going to do was alienate them. I wanted to focus on the people who were not tithing. You know, we had people would get up at Mass and give a witness talk about how using tithing and putting God first in their finances had really helped their personal life. I wanted everyone to see those benefits. We were supposed to be preaching gospel values and not just fundraising. I got so emotionally caught up in the arguments over fundraising philosophy that I nearly had a nervous breakdown. The politics and greed were just too much for me. I needed to get back to more spiritually-based activities. I signed up to go back on the team for the Christ Renews This Parish Renewal Retreat for a second time. One of the lessons I used to teach in my inquiry classes was about the Old Testament prophets. The prophets weren't just about predicting the future. Their primary responsibility was to be God's spokesperson and to call people back to God when they went astray. They were almost always persecuted for that. I felt like I was being called to be a prophet. People needed to understand that we were drifting away from spiritually-based fundraising. I was failing at that job, and I felt like I was being persecuted for my views. My entire personality was changing. I was bitter and angry all the time. I became extremely withdrawn, and I shut people out. Now, I knew that I was withdrawing. I knew that it was bad for me. I knew it was bad for the people around me. And I didn't care. I was just too depressed. Now, the definition of a mortal sin is when you do something wrong, you know it's wrong, and you do it anyway. And it also has to be a serious offense. Now, I don't think going into a deep emotional withdrawal in a self-destructive way necessarily rose to the level of a mortal sin. I mean, I didn't steal money or kill anybody or anything. But I certainly was aware that what I was doing was self-destructive, and I didn't care. I did it anyway. So I think that's the closest I've ever come to a mortal sin. The thing that brought me out of this self-destructive cycle was when I realized how it was hurting the people around me. I was cutting myself off and isolating myself and pushing people away. I thought about the end of that classic Pink Floyd album, The Wall, the semi-autobiographical story of Roger Waters, of how he shut the world out. The final song, called Outside the Wall, says, All alone or in twos, the ones who really love you, Walk up and down outside the wall. Some hand in hand, some gather together in bands. The bleeding hearts and the artists make their stand. And when they've given you their all, some stagger and fall. After all, it's not easy. Bang your heart against some mad bugger's wall. I could see people pounding on my wall, trying to pull me out of that situation. And so I had to drag myself out. Like Roger Waters, 
I had to tear down the wall. I suddenly realized that if I was in such a personal mess, I really didn't have anything to give as a member of another chirp renewal team. I'd signed up for all the wrong reasons. On the evening I was supposed to be at a team meeting discerning what job I would take on in the team, I didn't go to the meeting. Instead, I tracked down Monsignor Fred and I went to confession. After confession, I joined the team meeting in the middle and I told him I was withdrawing from the team. I explained that I joined for all the wrong reasons. I needed to take care of my personal demons before I could have anything to give of myself to the team or to the people that would come to our renewal. The team was pretty understanding. Father Paul, eh, not so much so. He was a bit upset with me. They barely had enough people to form the team, and without me, they were going to be a man short, and someone would have to double up on duties. Trust me, if I'd stayed, they still would have been a man short. I was not in a state where I could contribute in a positive way. My first trip through the renewal program was emotionally and physically draining on me. I never would have made it through a second one. Eventually, I simply resigned myself to the idea that I wasn't getting through to the people I wanted to. I was powerless to do anything about it. They were making mistakes, and they were going to have to deal with the consequences. It was going to be difficult not to say, I told you so, when the strategy failed or backfired. I just kept thinking how the prophets felt when they preached and no one listened to them. How sad it must have been to see the people they loved fail to heed their warnings. There's no pleasure in being right under such circumstances. The policies I opposed did ultimately fail. There was negative backlash, as I predicted, and I took no pleasure in being right. So I think that was the lowest point in my many years of ministry. But there were other successes to celebrate. So here's another story about work at the Finance Committee that was a little more upbeat. One day the committee was meeting on a Saturday afternoon to stuff envelopes for financial statements. It was a complicated procedure I described a couple episodes ago where we had to send different letters to different groups of people based on whether or not they were a school family or whether or not they had met their pledge. While we were doing this, we were brainstorming about strategies for solving our financial difficulties. As I explained a couple episodes ago, my best efforts to project our income were unsuccessful. Trying to figure out how much money we could spend in a given year was a challenge we weren't meeting. One of our members, a very dedicated and gregarious guy named Tom, said, what we need is a sugar daddy who'll come along and give us a year's worth of income. Then we would know how much money we had to spend that year. The following year, we would have banked all of our income, and we'd know again how much money we had. Unfortunately, none of us knew any filthy rich people who could do that. Our annual ordinary income in those days was around $600,000 a year. It was several days later, thinking about Tom's proposal, that I suddenly realized how brilliant it really was. 
He had the right strategy, but he had overcomplicated the solution. We didn't need a sugar daddy to kickstart the process. The core idea that Tom proposed was to base this year's expenses on last year's income. All we had to do was project a 0% increase. We could still do that. Now, it would be tough the first year because we'd been counting on those increases. But if we held the line and had 0% increase, then we could build the budget on that. And we were already basing our school budgets on the 12-month rolling average ending in the end of February. So take that number with no projected increase and use it as our income for the following year. Now, there's an old adage, I'm not sure if it's really in Scripture or not, but it says, don't tempt God to perform a miracle. You know, that's what we were doing when we proposed budgets with income increases. Say, for example, our average through February was 600000 That's the amount of money that God gave us during a 12-month period. So that must be how much he expects us to spend during 12 months. Use that income figure for the following fiscal year. If by chance you get more than that, wonderful. Spend it next year. But don't count on the increase. The only problem with that strategy is if our income decreases. And if it does, we'd have to make some mid-year adjustments to expenses. But we were doing that anyway when we weren't meeting our targeted increase expectations. I really liked the idea because there was some theology behind it. I thought I could sell Father Paul on it. See, that's what he liked about tithing. It wasn't purely a fundraising strategy. Tithing is a theological principle based on the idea that everything you have comes from God and you give back 10% in gratitude. This plan says it's sacrilegious to say we don't have enough money. God gives you everything you need. So if your budget isn't balancing, then it's something we're doing wrong. You can't say we don't have enough. That's saying God didn't take care of us. So either our spending priorities are wrong or we're not working hard enough to explain to people the value they're receiving for their donations. It was our fault if the budget didn't work, not God's. The committee bought into my idea. Of course, Tom was a strong supporter because it really was his idea to begin with. I was just the one that had the insight we didn't need a rich person to kickstart the program. For the last couple of years, I was on the finance committee. That was the principle that we used going forward. No projected increase in income. If the income goes up, spend it next year. Now, there was a catch. One that I didn't see. But fortunately, it was a catch in our favor. Now, I hate to bore you down with numbers, especially since these are hypothetical and I don't remember the real figures, but I can't think of any other way to explain what I'm talking about. Let's say for 1985, for example, our income was 600000 So we base our 86 budget on that amount. Now, let's assume that it goes up 10000 So in 86, we actually took in 610 instead of the 600 that we did the year before. 
So we base our 87 budget on 610. Now in 87, let's say the income goes up another 10,000. So our 88 budget is based on 620. Now in 86, we spent 600,000, but we took in 610,000. In 87, we spent 610, but took in 620. So we end up with an extra 10000 in the bank each time the income goes up. Now, the original idea was, if it goes up, we'll spend it next year. But we really didn't. We kept basing next year's expense budget on this year's income. And I didn't realize we would be banking that extra money. Probably what we should have done is, when it went up by 10000 in 86, then our 87 budget should have been 620. That is the 610 from the previous year plus the 10,000 windfall that we got through the grace of God. Now, when the money started building up to a significant amount, we realized we had this extra cash lying around and we wanted to use it for some long overdue maintenance projects. We started talking about our capital needs. We formed a special committee. I think it was called Capital Planning Committee or something like that. Their goal was to take a look at all of our big budget capital needs and try to prioritize them, have a long-range plan for fixing things up and remodeling the parish at some point. I mentioned previously there were maintenance projects we'd been deferring year after year, and we'd only been doing the bare minimum. So we started doing some special projects. I've included some photos in the YouTube version of the video. Windows needed to be repaired and replaced. The parking lot needed resealed and restriped. My mother came up with the idea for remodeling one of the downstairs restrooms into a special handicap restroom. All of these projects were funded out of this unspent increase, which was an unforeseen side effect of our zero increase budgeting. So again, the only problem would be is if the income went down. But we were tracking that 12-month rolling average, and I think we would have seen the graph flatten out and had time to do something about it. We could have saved some of that windfall money in the event our income did decrease. So it turns out Tom had a brilliant idea. We needed a sugar daddy. Turns out we had one all along. His name was Jesus. Next week, we'll continue telling stories of my days serving on my parish finance committee. If you find this podcast educational, entertaining, enlightening, or even inspiring, consider sponsoring me on Patreon for just $5 per month. You'll get early access to the podcast and access to exclusive content. Although I have some financial struggles, I'm not really in this for the money. Still, every little bit helps. My deepest thanks, as always, to all of my financial supporters. Your support pays for the writing seminar I attend and some other things. But most of all, it shows how much you care and appreciate what I'm doing. That support means more to me than I know how to express. Even if you cannot provide financial support, I'm always begging you, please post links and share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, so that I can grow my audience. 
It's not about the money. I just want people to hear my stories. All of my back episodes are available. I encourage you to check them out if you're new to the podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or other feedback, please feel free to comment on any of the platforms where you find this podcast. I'll see you next week as we continue contemplating life. Until then, fly safe, everyone.